0: Welcome to the Christian Renewal Church Sunday Sermon. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org. We are, uh, we're busy. Our, our house closed on Friday, and I've been in Arizona on a missions trip on the Navajo Reservation, and I, uh, So when I got back, I missed my daughter's birthday. And so my wife said, um, why don't you take the girls to Chuck E. Cheese? They love Chuck E. Cheese. I hate Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, Actually, I worked there in high school my first couple years of college, and it was probably the worst experience of my life. If you can picture me in a big rat outfit dancing, you have seen it all. Um, And so I took the girls to Chuck E. Cheese, and um, I told Haley, just make sure you grab my bag. And she didn't grab my bag, y'all. So I got my big, giant study Bible that I had with me. So I'm laughing, like trying to find everything in this big Bible. But we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let me pray over the word and we'll just kind of jump in. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Ghost in in this house this morning. We're so grateful that you meet with us. Thank you, God, that you've called us a temple of your Holy Spirit, that you empower us. So I ask God that you would anoint me, anoint this word, that my lips would be um, cleanse God that every every word that comes forth would be edifying. And we pray that you would bless us, use us for, for Jesus' name, for the for the kingdom's sake. God, use us. We pray in your name. We pray. Amen. Amen. So I was on the Navajo reservation. Um, it was it was cold, y'all, like really cold. It was dry, so I'm like everybody's blowing snot boogers everywhere. It was just bad. <laughs> Um, But we, uh, the church that we were working with, it, um, the whole church ran off like uh, wood-burning stoves. And so the pastor would come um, on Tuesdays. His name was Pastor Stanley. He was um, well in his 70s, I I think closer to 80, um, a Navajo man. And just, you could tell, just been in the sun a long time, just like a really man's man. And so we were chopping wood and a he was—he wasn't laughing at us, but you knew he was laughing. I'm from Florida. I don't know how to chop wood. I ain't no chopped wood in my life. We—we we didn't have fireplaces, and so all the students were chopping wood. can't—no, none of us know what we were doing. And he—he he got up, and he—he uh, he picked up an axe, and he—he he picked the wood up with his foot like this, and swung the axe at himself. Have you ever seen somebody do that? I said, "Oh Lord!" And so all—all the, all the boys' mouths dropped like this. And we were all like oh no he's a man now and so <laughs> the whole time he was chopping wood swinging at himself I told the, I told the kids they couldn't do it but I did it once and I split the wood and the axe went straight into my shoe it didn't go through my shoe but if I would have came in with half a foot my wife would have been real mad um and I didn't try it again um but it was funny because i had been I've been talking with our students about work ethic and trying to instill um like a discipline and I'm going to honor God. I'm going to sweat for the kingdom. I'm going to be a hard worker. And it's, and it's hard there. A, a lot of our guys, to be honest with you, have grown up fatherless and you can, you can just tell which ones had a hard working dad and which ones didn't. There's a real distinction. And so I was so happy and thankful for this, you know, elderly Navajo man to be out there chopping wood. And he was like just real sweet and genuine. And I kept telling the boys, uh, I said, Pastor Stanley said you chop wood like his granddaughter. That's what I kept him. He never said that, but I, I kept whispering out here Pastor Stanley said you work like a girl, <laughs> um, <laughs> which he never said. Um, but I was just appreciative to watch, like, uh, to watch young men uh, again, a good bit of them grow, who've grown up without fathers who who lack in a work ethic, and I'm talking to him about it, and I was appreciative to have a man of God who has to chop wood for the entire church to run on Sunday morning out there working, and he's, he's teaching them how to chop wood, and he's talking to them about prayer. He was telling me that he just uh, last month went to Brooklyn Tabernacle and went to their prayer meetings, um, and it had my mind spinning on this idea of generational transfer, which we've kind of, touched a little bit, and so as I'm kind of getting to know you, you're getting to know me, I want to share with you a little bit on this idea of generational transfer, maybe one of the most important ideas to me, um, and I pray that the Lord speaks to you, and this will be something that you'll kind of latch on to, too. Seth told me, um, Seth told me when he started here that Pastor Gilbert said to him, um, Pastor Gilbert said, Seth, if you ever come up here and lead worship in a five-piece suit, he said, this is his words, I'm going to yank you off that stage, and I'm going, to, I'm going to send you down. He said, he told Seth, he said, you be yourself, you love people, and you minister, and you be, you be who you are. And Seth said he had so much respect for Pastor Gilbert in that moment, because Pastor Gilbert understood that there's demonic strategy to divide generations. And if we can, what the enemy wants to do is to make us fight about what to wear, or what style music. And we've got to constantly remind ourselves that these conversations are shallow. What we fight about is the true gospel. What we're fighting about is that it's only the blood of Jesus that you're saved. What we fight about is that we believe emphatically in the power of the Holy Spirit and gifts of the spirit. Those are the things that we stand on. Um, and Seth said, when Pastor Gilbert said to him in, in, in reason, obviously you need to dress not seductive. But when he said to him, you be yourself, Seth said, that's a man I can follow. And the problem there's a real problem uh, in in the church in our day, and I can say this because i 'm young um, and it, it's that we've we 've lost honor and when we throw away honor, then we lose generational unity and when we lose generational unity we 've abandoned the idea of discipleship and 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 our and, and just to be honest. We are in a day where the majority of our kids, there's, there's a large, not majority, a large amount of our kids who are growing up without fathers and mothers in the home, and, and the church cannot sit back and fight about whether a kid has a hole on their knee or not, while a kid doesn't have a father or mother. Does that make sense? We've got to say we're going to be a people of honor. We're going to be a people of wisdom. That That's very crucial. We're going to be a people of wisdom, and we're going to, we're going to work to be a bridge between the generations rather than bridge tear downers. I made that word up, but I'll have it put in a dictionary later. So I want to read to you from Second Timothy, and I want to show you, I'm, forgive me because this isn't like a very concise sermon. I'm going to kind of bounce all over the pastoral epistles, but I want, to, I want to try to open up Paul's heart for you and let you see that Paul cared, cared nothing for, Paul was emphatic, and we'll get to this later, was emphatic that no generation had a corner market on the gospel that no ethnicity had a corner market on the gospel, that no socio socioeconomic class had a corner market on the gospel, but that the gospel was to all people, for all people, and in the blood of Jesus, there is unity. We've been grafted into the family of God based upon the blood of Jesus. You don't have to dress like me, talk like me, do anything like me. You have to be found in the blood of Jesus. If any man be in Christ, not in my culture, Not in in my, not use my lingo or my, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. And so it's, it's important, um, that we wrap our mind around this idea. Now, of course, every church has a style. It's impossible to have worship without a style. It's impossible to wear clothes in the morning and not have some sort of style. So there's nothing wrong with style. What's wrong is to say we have a corner market and you have to look like us, talk like us, dress like us, be from our social class in order to come to the gospel. And that's what we want to avoid emphatically. One of the most beautiful pictures of Christianity and, um, Tim Keller, in his book Reasons for God um, talks about this is the fact that Christianity is the only world religion that has bounced all over the globe and so when you look at Islam, for instance, islam uh, primarily was founded found in in Mecca, and the primary center for Islam today is is mecca and to 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 be a Muslim, you need to speak Arabic and you need to read the scriptures in arabic and, and, and Mecca is the center, okay? When you start talking about Hindu, um, any Eastern religions, they primarily stay where they're started. But when you study Christianity, we are in Jerusalem, and then we're over to Antioch, and then we're to Rome, and then we're all over Europe and Spain, and then we're we're over into England, and the gospel's going to the nations, and then the gospel jumps to the new world, to the Americas. And then today, the gospel, and, and most people predict that South America is going to be the, that, that South America almost already is sending out as many missionaries as we're sending out That a hundred years. South America might be seen as the capital of Christianity in the world, and China on the same on the same scale is jumping quickly. So Christianity has never been bound to a specific ethnicity. It's never been bound to a specific language. That I I'm about to get on a soapbox. Don't let me get on it. I uh, when Haley and I were young in ministry, we were um, we were we were doing street ministry at like a uh, what do you call it? We were at a. Outreach, we were doing street ministry, and um, Haley was. I was working with a kids pastor. He was making balloons. He was dressed like a clown, whatever. I'm like talking to kids, just trying to love on them, sharing with them about the church. Um, and Haley was passing out um, new King James Bibles. So it was a stack of new King James. And so we're just. Hey, do you have a Bible? We love to give you a Bible. And I turn around and there's an there's an older man arguing, just chewing Haley out, arguing her down um, about the fact that we were passing out new King James and not King James. And and I said to the man, I turned around because he, you can disrespect me, but don't chew my wife out. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a that's a different level. Don't don't talk to my wife that way. And so I turned around and I, I heard him and I said to the man, so uh, what if I speak Greek, then what do I do? Like, I have to I have to learn to read English to read the King James when the Scripture was originally written in Greek, and it came to King James because people like John Wycliffe paid their life so that the common people can read the Scripture, and now you're telling me that because we've translated the Scriptures into multiple languages so that people can read them, everybody needs to learn to read, read Old English and read the King James. Like, this just doesn't make sense. What if I'm Greek and I speak Greek, can I read the original manuscripts? Um, and and what, what the King James only movement misses is the fact that the intention of Christianity for From the start is that this gospel would be preached around the globe to the corners of the earth. And we have never, Christianity has never cared what social class you're from or what what language you speak. Christianity has focused primarily that you bow your knee to Christ. You don't need to learn to speak English. Speak whatever language you speak. We'll get you the scriptures in that language. You bow your knee to Christ. Do you you catch what I'm saying there? So first, Timothy, I want to read to you um, verses in chapter one, verses three through seven, second Timothy, I'm sorry, second Timothy, verses three through seven. Paul says to Timothy, he says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you. That I may be filled with joy i 'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. for God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and of self control. little context here. Um, if you have your Bible, flip with me. I'm, I'm flipping in the big Bible because I don't have my normal Bible. Um, in verse four or chapter 4, verses 6-8, Paul says to Timothy, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Um, and so scholars, it seems clear that Paul is telling Timothy that I'm getting ready to die, that I'm sure my death is to come soon. Um, the church historian Eusebius said that Paul died during the reign of Nero, which puts it about this time frame. Um, and, and you remember in first Timothy chapter one, Paul saying um, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Um, I'm hard pressed between the two. So he's already contemplating death. Um, so he's writing to Timothy. Realizing that his death is coming soon and he's not concerned. Nowhere here do we really get this idea that Paul fears death, that he's concerned what's going to happen to with his inheritance or with his money, if he even had any money. He's he's not concerned with any. He's not self-absorbed. What he's concerned about is that Timothy carried the gospel well. And as he faces death, he's writing his son in the faith and as he's facing death, he's concerned that his legacy continues that the churches are cared for. I thought it was beautiful that Micah spoke to you this morning about the passing of Billy Graham, um, because that was we didn't connect on that, but the idea of even in death advancing the gospel. And that's where Paul is here. He's, he's encouraging Timothy to fight the good fight, to stay faithful to the gospel, to preach it with clarity and with sincerity, and to not be bound by division, um, because he is concerned that the generation coming after him take the gospel further than he took the gospel. And this is the idea of generational transfer. It's not that any generational transfer is not that the older generation retire from doing any work for the gospel. It's that the older generation co-labors with the younger generation, teaches and trains the younger generation. And when they pass, they're still having ripple effects on the kingdom of darkness. They just leave a good dent in the thing. Do You catch what I'm saying? And so I am trying to be clear and hear me well. I have no intention that anyone be left behind. I have no intention of saying we're gonna bring, we're gonna solely focus on millennials and we're gonna be a millennial church. I have no intention of that being our focus. I have every intention of us having a focus on generational transfer. We wanna be a generational transfer church and that means that every generation is honored and we're thinking past ourselves. We're thinking in a hundred years, what could still be going on for the gospel? So, here's the idea. No person be left behind. Every person leaves something behind. Does this make sense? We're not leaving or abandoning abandoning any generation, but when every one of us gets dirt thrown in our face, we're still having ripple effects for the kingdom. When they put dirt in my face, I want there to be generations who can point to me and say, He taught me the gospel well. I want them to say, I heard him pray and I learned to pray. I pray that for every one of us in this room, when they put dirt in our face, there are ministries that are thriving, that we foreran, ministries that prayer meetings that we started that are still moving and rolling, that there's legacy. When Jesus says, uh, don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth where wrath and rust destroy, where moth and rust destroy, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where thieves don't break in and steal. The idea is that you live solely for the kingdom. That you put all of your trust, all of your hope, all of your sweat, you put into the kingdom, and by doing that, you actually gain reward in heaven. And so, our focus is kingdom. It's not me. It's not me sitting on enough enough money or enough resources that I can be comfortable. My focus is on pouring myself like Paul saying. I'm poured out like a drink offering so that the gospel continues to thrive. There are still people groups on the earth today that have never heard the gospel preached. We have still got work to do. We cannot be self-absorbed. We have got to to we've got to humble ourselves, value honor and say we we cannot write off young people because their styles different. I have students who dye their hair purple and green and yellow. I don't know why they do it. I don't. And I say, "What in the world are you what are you wearing? I don't know what you're wearing. And then I say, okay, are you praying? How's your, how's your devotional life? And so I, I laugh, y'all. You know, I'm promising you, at least once a day, I laugh at what some of these kids wear. And then I say, how is your walk with Jesus? Because, because if they want to dye their hair purple or yellow, I don't care what your hair color. I care if you're praying or not. Does this make sense? And so we don't want to be shallow. We want to get deep and want the gospel to have this just ripple effect that's still affecting this community long after we're gone. And that's Paul's intention. Watch in, uh, uh, in 2 Timothy, um, I think it's in four nine. He's, he says, do your best to come to me soon. And then I love this. Um, verse 13, do you see 2 Timothy verse 4.13? When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus and Tres. And then he says this, also bring the books and above all the parchments. So he's saying, I'm going to die, Timothy. Um, I'm sure to die soon. I want you to pastor really well. Bring me my books and my parchments because i still got some things to write. I've still got some things to say. It's not, Timothy, I'm done. I'm retired. I'm quitting. It's, Timothy, bring me my books and bring me my parchment because I've still got work to do. Until God snatches the breath out of my lungs, I've got to get some things accomplished. Do you hear what I'm saying there? So no person being left behind, every person leaving something behind. Psalm 144 says that man is like breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Our days are numbered and short. We've got to live them well. So point number one, I want to show you just a few things. Um, Paul says to Timothy, he says, um, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. It feels to me that, um, have you ever pondered death? Like, I think we all do at some point or another. You ponder death and I, and I think about, okay, if I died, the first thing I think about is my kids. I want, I want them to be taken care of. I want them to know that I love them. I I do little things now. I'm sure you did. I write my girls letters and, I do this thing that my pastor taught me. I want to work through an entire Bible and make notes to leave to my kids. In death, what I'm concerned with is my children, Um, not myself. I don't. I have no fear of death, but I am concerned that my kids know that I really, really love them and that they carry the faith. And that's what it feels like here. Like Paul's facing death, he has no natural children. What he's he's like reminiscing on on Timothy's. Um, faith. Reminiscing, I remember when I laid my hands on you, and there was a gift imparted. In First Timothy chapter 4, I remember when the elders prophesied over you. And so Paul's reminiscing is on his spiritual son's life, and wanting him to do well, and wanting him to run farther than he's ever run. We always say this, we want the generation after us to, we want our ceiling to be their floor. We want them to stand on everything we did. I don't want my kids to ever have to sift through whether the gifts of the Spirit are for today or not. That's established. You pursue God. You believe God for signs, wonders, and miracles. We fought that fight. It's, it's clear that the scriptures teach that. If we want our ceiling to be their floor, and this is where, where Paul's landing. So chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Look at verse 3. I thank God who I serve, as did my ancestors. And your mother and your grandmother, they also served well. There's a legacy for me and a legacy for you. And now remember that Paul in no way saw his Christianity as a division from his ancestors. He saw his Christianity as the fulfillment of Judaism. He didn't see himself as as leaving the the faith. He saw himself as receiving the Messiah that they had so longed for. So Paul says, my ancestors walked with God, studied Scripture, prayed, and I walk with God, study Scripture and pray. And there's this real, genuine, sincere faith in your grandmother and in your mother. And now I'm confident that it's in you as well. There's a pattern, a flow of faith that's seen. And now what I think Paul is saying is he's saying to Timothy, you remind yourself of the way your grandmother prayed and you live the life like she lived when she got up with a Bible in front with the scriptures in front of her and she read that and she prayed and she cared for the poor and she loved God with all of her heart. And you remember the way that your mother came to Christ and she loved Jesus passionately. Now that same faith is in you and you live that way. You express it. And so we see this just train of sincere, genuine love and affection for Jesus based upon the blood of the cross shed on Calvary and Paul saying, Timothy, don't abandon your legacy or your inheritance. Don't 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 be Esau who just sells his birthright. This this is your greatest heritage and inheritance. This faith has been passed down from your family. What matters, Timothy, is that you carry on this legacy. Patterns, Timothy, watch our patterns, live our patterns, verse 12 in chapter one. He says this, he says, um, um. He's he's saying, I'm I'm suffering, but I'm not ashamed. Again, he's in prison in Rome. For I know whom I believed. I'm convinced that he's able to guard until the day which has been entrusted to me. Then he says this in verse 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words which you heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard that good deposit entrusted to you. The good deposit entrusted you from your mother and your grandmother, given the, the gift imparted to you as I laid my hands on to you, guard it and follow our pattern. And so what I'm trying to say to you is that I heard a story recently of a, of a young pastor who took a church and the church fired him pretty quickly because he was implementing too many prayer meetings. And they said that prayer meetings were old timey and they were they had grown past that. Um, I'm trying to say to you that, no, we do not want to change our patterns. We want to teach our patterns. We don't want to get rid of prayer meetings. We want to teach the the next generation to pray. We don't want to get rid of sound Bible teaching. We want to teach our children and their children to read the Bible well, to live the Bible well. Are you guys following me? And so Paul saying to Timothy, remember your patterns, follow my patterns. I've run the race well. I've finished strong. You follow me as I follow Jesus. Live out our patterns. The Moravian church, you know, um, who largely Christianity in the West is indebted to, at least the Wesleyan movement. John Wesley had an encounter with Moravians on his way back from the States um, to to Europe the first time in which he had some kind of. Encounter where he really met God and salvation by grace, had some kind of encounter with the Holy Spirit. Um, John Wesley's life is, is trickled with praying for healing and people being healed. Um, he had a secretary who said that she heard him praying in tongues. And so the, his life is filled with the gifts of the Spirit. Um, but he learned it. He learned this from the Moravians. And the Moravians um, had a hundred years of continued prayer. For a hundred years, they had a nonstop prayer meeting. And you don't have a hundred years of nonstop prayer meeting without teaching somebody else to pray. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like somebody taught somebody's kid. I know you like to stay up late at night and eat Cheetos and play video games. Now you're going to stay up late at night and you're going to cover me on a night watch because I need a nap. You hear what I'm saying? You better teach those kids to pray. And that's the legacy of our faith to some extent. It's it's imparting. It's giving. It's teaching um, the next generations. Because it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about generations past. It's about the gospel being fruitful. Hallelujah. So in our patterns, we need to be mission-centered. We need to talk about missions. We need to talk about what we do with our finances with young people. We need to teach them that they need to they need to tie. They also need to give to missions We're we are big on when young people, um, want to go on a mission trip. Haley and I are always trying to support and trying to pray for because we want them to touch missions. We want them to live a life that, that says we want the gospel to reach every corner of this globe. And, and the problem is, is that, that when the younger generation, and I'm, again, I'm young, so I'm allowed to say this. I'm, I'm, I'm giving myself permission. Um, when the younger generation says things like, there's, 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 a, there's an old church slogan that went around for a while. It wasn't old, a relevant church slogan um, that said, we're not your grandma's church. There used to be a sign that says, we're not your grandma's church. And that drives the pastor that we work under now crazy. It makes him so mad because he says, if you were my grandma's church, you would know how to pray because those people groaned in prayer. Um, but when young people, when, when my generation does that, when they say we're going to separate from the older generation because they're old and religious, yada, 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 they lose patterns and, and we've lost legacy. And, and again, I've told you before, I want my kids to hear me pray, to know how to pray. I, I, it's, it, it, is, it is a religious spirit that wants to stand on the street corner and pray loud and read the scriptures out loud so that everybody can see them. It's parenting well to want your kids to see you reading the scripture and pray. Does that make sense? This is not a religious spirit. I want my kids to see me. Oh, gosh, I was studying yesterday, and my, my youngest tore my Bible up, and I said, no, girl, she ch- tore a big piece out of it. Um, I said, get behind me, Satan. Just kidding, I didn't say that. Um, but I, I want them to see me. They, I want them to see my, the patterns of my life, that I get up every day, and I pray and read Scripture when I'm tired, when I'm sick, when I'm worn out. Y'all have been a little worn out lately. The Scriptures are my bread. They're my sustenance. I want them to catch my patterns. We don't want to throw our patterns away. We want to teach our patterns. So point number two, um, Timothy, um, he received patterns from Paul, from his grandmother, from his mother. And then point number two is he received a commission from the older generation. 1 Timothy 4.14 says, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. And then he, remember, he said in chapter one of second of Timothy, he said, you fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So now Paul is telling Timothy, you have a gift that's been received through imparti- impartation. In participation through impartation. Then he says, there is a prophecy over your life that you received when the elders put their hands on you. Your commission is from the generation above you. And so Timothy lives with this real sense of responsibility and authority because there are men of God before him who have commissioned him. Who have said, There's a gift in your life, there's a calling on your life. We are behind you, we're supporting you. Go and fulfill your calling. Um, 2 Tim- Timothy chapter 4 1, Paul says to Timothy, Look at this. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, you preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. So Paul's just told Timothy in chapter 1 that you have a spiritual gift that's been given to you through the laying on of the hands. Now I charge you in the presence of God and in the presence of Jesus, who will be your judge on the last day. You preach the word. You be ready in season and out of season. You reprove, rebuke, rebuke, exhort with complete patience. You fulfill your calling. I charge you in the presence of God. You do what God God has called you to do. It's a commission that came from a previous generation. He's obviously wrestling with fear. He's a young man. Timothy is pastoring the church of Ephesus, which church history tells us that um, the apostle John pastored at Ephesus, um, that Paul himself pastored at at Ephesus. Ephesus is the church where Mary, um, the mother of Jesus, was in her late years. And so Ephesus is an intimidating church. And, and and Paul tells him, you were, you were not given a spirit of fear, but a boldness. I charge you. You preach the word. Do you feel the strength that Paul is imparting? He's almost thrusting Timothy into his calling. I am behind you. These elders are behind you. We're commissioning you. You fulfill the work of God, which he's called you to. And then Second Timothy chapter 2, 2, he tells Timothy this. He says, um, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses you entrust to faithful men who will also be able to teach others so now he's telling he's telling Timothy this You've been commissioned, you've heard my teaching, you've heard my exposition of scripture, you've heard the gospel clearly, now we are commissioning you to teach others and to commission them. You are now sucked into this train of impartation, of legacy, you're sucked into this idea of generational transfer, and we command you that you do not you not submit yourself to a demonic attempt to break the chain. We command you to pass this faith on to the next generation. It's the unity of the elders that support the calling of this young man. And trust the faithful men. Our eyes ought to be looking for the faithful to pass our ministries off to. We, and, and again, Paul hasn't quit yet, you understand? He's in prison, so he's not pastoring, but he hasn't stopped. He's still writing letters. He's not, he hasn't given up his ministry. He's been, he's been, um, He's, he's had transitions in ministry, but he hasn't quit. He's still ministering, but he's passed on to Timothy. And Paul has made himself fruitful by bringing someone under him who can do things that he can't do. And when he eats the dirt, there's a man still preaching the gospel that he preached. Because Paul had enough wisdom to say, I'm going to love a younger man as a son. I'm going to teach him everything that I know. And Paul was a smart man, right? Incredibly intellectual. A, a teacher of teachers. And Paul taught Timothy well. You teach what you heard me teach. You stick to the The scripture is God breathe, he tells Timothy in chapter 3, verse 16. It's God breathe. You preach it. You teach it. I'm saying this. I am... I am emphatically grateful um, for um, Bill and for Sue. I'm emphatically grateful for Pastor Gilbert's grace, for the elders' grace and love and honor for me. I didn't. Um, I didn't want to come to this church so that we can just focus on millennials and try to get the best media or whatever, uh, we, we were excited about this church because when we came here, we said, these are people who care about generational transfer, and these are people who will disciple, and these are people who will bring young people under them and teach them to pray and teach them to read the scriptures and teach them sound doctrine, and this can be a church that's not caught up in just the now, but that thinks about generations far to come. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm teaching. I'm teaching this because I want you to hear my heart. My heart is is that no one be written off, but that everyone leave a legacy behind. Our eyes ought to be looking for the faithful. Um, there's there's no room in the kingdom of God for competitiveness. For heaven's sake, we've got plenty of work to do. We can use all the help we can get. Seriously, there are, there are people all around the earth who haven't heard the gospel. It's crazy for any minister to be competitive, to try to, try to build a corner market. This is my ministry. You stay, you stay down there. The, the scripture says uh, in Ephesians chapter 5 that the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, their job is to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. So the elders of this church and the pastors of this church, our job in unity is to say, we are going to do everything we can to equip this congregation to to leave a stinking legacy, to leave ministries all around the city. We're going to do everything we can to help the congregation fulfill their calling that's put on their life. And the last point, this is really, really, I'm going to wrap this up quick. Um, So Paul Again, he says that um, Timothy, you need to fan the flame, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands and so there's been this impartation of gifting. Paul saying that I prayed for Timothy and that there was a transfer of spiritual giftings that he now walks in he's telling Timothy you don 't lack any sus- you don't lack any gifting, you need to stir the thing up there's nothing that you're that you're in need of you have it all within you. you stir it up and then he says in in First Timothy, remember the prophecy that the elders gave to you when they laid their hands on you. So now look, it's easy for a church to pray, to put their hands on people and say, I pray a prayer of impartation. It's even easy to pray, to, to put your hands on somebody and prophesy, you are going to change the world. It's much harder to pray a prayer of impartation, to allow a prophet, prophetic word to be spoken over somebody, and then hold them accountable to fulfill that thing. Okay, so watch. He's not just given a spiritual gift. He's held accountable to fulfill his calling. He's not just prophesied over, but Paul's saying, do you remember what the elders prophesied over you? You have to fulfill that prophecy. You've got to walk in it. So look, when Paul and Barnabas are in the church at Antioch, the Holy Spirit said to the church, set aside Barnabas and Paul for the work that I've called them to. And then this is what the church did. They gathered some money and they set apart Paul and Barnabas and they said, Get doing what God 's called you to do, they didn 't say, we care about numbers, so we need to keep everybody we can keep. They didn 't say you're going to stay submitted to us. you are going to be our min- you're going to be our little minions and do everything we tell you to. Do. What they said was Paul and Barnabas, the holy Spirit said, you're called to a work, we 're going to raise money, and we 're going to send you off to do what God 's called you to do. so it 's prophecy and uh, holding accountable to fulfill what God 's called them to do. And that takes much more diligence because it's easy to to, to, um, to fast food prophesy, you know, to just walk and say, the Lord going to use you to shake the nations. The word wants you to use you to missions. And now, look, I believe that all prophecy should be, be judged and be tested. But if the elders of a church and there's a young person who says, I feel like God's calling me to missions and the elders of the church agree that it seems the Holy Spirit is saying that you're called to missions, it's much different to keep holding that young person and saying, OK. What are you doing to take steps to fulfill your call? How can we help you? We can't force anybody to do anything, but we can come alongside and push people into what God's called them to do. There's accountability to fulfill his call. And I want to say this just because it's a little soapbox of mine. There is this accountability um, to live in sound doctrine. Okay. And so. I am concerned for my generation that we've become the churches that have broken away from generations past. We've become not only shallow in our pursuits, but we're very shallow doctrinally. Um, We've marginalized doctrine. We've um, largely in the States doctrine doesn't matter. And, And I want to tell you that doctrine absolutely matters because it dictates the way that you live. This makes sense. Like having a good, sound, robust understanding of prayer pushes me to live a life of prayer. And the fact that I understand that I'm saved by grace through faith, not by works, it allows me to live by grace. And I also understand that my reward is based on works. I also understand that I'm not to live for this world, but to that world. And so I live a life of holiness, not because I'm trying to earn God's uh, p- pleasure, not trying to earn God's um, approval. But I live a life of holiness because I'm so stinking thankful for what he's done for me. And that changes everything about the way that I live. Doctrine, and it matters much more than we're willing to say. And Paul tells Timothy over and over. And he's going to tell Titus the same thing. Preach the word. The scripture is God breathed. Um, be ready in season and out of season. Let me show you something in 1 Timothy um, chapter 6, uh, verse 20. Here he says the same thing. Um, guard that deposit that's entrusted to you. Then he says this. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called Knowledge for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. It seems to me that he's talking about the beginnings of a movement called Gnosticism, and Gnosticism basically taught that they had this secret knowledge, that's what Um, Gnosticism means it means knowledge that they had this secret knowledge that Um, it was kind of new agey that all matter was evil. And so Essentially it fleshed out in one or two ways. It said that jesus was not god because he was flesh He was just a man who achieved godhood or it said that jesus was not man He was he was actually like this ghost-like figure that walked around and they claimed to have a secret knowledge And when you committed to that knowledge, you you were enlightened and paul says timothy. He says, um Avoid their irreverent babble and avoid those people who are talking about secret knowledge. Timothy doesn't have to wrestle with the theological goofiness of Gnosticism because Paul's already wrestled with it. And Paul said, look, this is totally contradictory to the to the scripture that the church does not believe this. Just avoid it altogether. But when the church neglects its heritage, For instance, in the Azusa Street Revival, um, you know, where the Assembly of God was born. The Pentecostal Holiness Church were born. The Church of God was born. All these um, spirit-filled churches, denominations were born. Um, There was also a man who had a vision um, in which he said that he denied the the doctrine of the Trinity. And he taught that basically God was one God, but he just put on different masks. He just changed. Uh, And this idea is called modalism. Um, it's the idea that God changes modes. It's what the Pentecostal oneness churches today teaches today. Um, the problem is, is that the Council of Nicaea in, in the early church history around 323 um, A.D., the church rejected this doctrine a long time ago, and the church said this is heretical. The scripture teaches that Jesus prayed to God, that the Holy Spirit came down upon Jesus, that the, that our God is a triune God, one being but three persons. And so what the Pentecostal movement, Pentecostal oneness movement, um, grabbed hold of as doctrine, the early church had long ago called heresy, and they had really hashed it out. And so if if they would have had a good understanding of church history and read through, okay, what does the scripture actually teach? They might have learned that the church um, scholars of past had already sifted through this thing, and the church has always believed in a triune God. Do you understand that that there's, I'm saying that I want to challenge us to even dig farther back and I think that every pastor today ought to be familiar with Luther and ought to be familiar with Calvin and ought to dig through Augustine and some of the church fathers and understand what the church taught and what the church believed um, for instance, the early church believed that the book of Revelation was written by John because John pastored uh, or, or led a young man named Polycarp. And we have Polycarp's writings which say that the gospel of John was written by John, that the book of Revelation was written by John. And so there, there is a legacy of faith and there's clear doctrine that's been taught throughout generations. Not to say that there's ever been need for reform, but I'm just saying that historical context and, and not falling to the pride that says, I know everything but that I can learn from the generations before me, it, it creates a platform for sound doctrine. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so, so for me, I, I am, I'm constantly trying to read and trying to understand. Um, I've, this month, I've been on Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. All month, um, uh, pastored Westminster uh, Chapel in London. Um, been listening to him every night as I fall asleep, trying to learn from what the man understood about, about Scripture and how he understood it and allowing people to teach. Always holding to that this thing is infallible, and so the ideas of um, the Reformation were this: the Scriptures are infallible; the Scriptures are our authority. If we have a, if we have a, um, if we have a contradiction amongst each other, we reason through the Scriptures until we find the truth. This is the idea of the Protestant Reformation. So it's, it's helpful to not throw away the past 2,000 years of Christianity and say everyone else is ignorant and they didn't understand what we understand. And to say, OK, teach me what you learned from the Holy Spirit. Teach me what you know. And, and, and honesty, and, and to be rather honest, um, arrogance and pride have robbed us from our inheritance, from our inheritance um robbed us from our heritage. It's it's arrogance that have led us to shallow doctrine and to shallow teaching. Um and, and it's what we need is to embrace honor. What we need to is um, love each other, to honor our past, to honor the people coming before us, and through honor to create a bridge that the Holy Spirit can teach, the Holy Spirit can lead, and we can reach a place where we're not still wrestling with modalism, which was dealt with in 323, but we're spending our time and energy preaching the gospel to people who need to hear it. Avoid the secret knowledge. Follow, uh, fulfill your ministry. Do it with sincerity. Do it with excellence. In the coming days, I hope you feel stirred to reach back even further. I hope you feel stirred to be reminded of your grandparents' prayer lives. My my grandfather is well in his 80s. He ministered most of his life. Um, I wasn't particularly close to him growing up. He's my biological father's father. Uh, But in the last five or six years, um, we've become close. And I like to sit and just listen to his stories. He talks a lot. He's a a Nazarene pastor. He talks a lot about about prayer. He told me that um, recently, the last time we were talking, he told me that he was the worship pastor at a church. Um, And the youth at the church, they went in this old sanctuary and they um, the lock was that, you know, kind of like a two by four lock that the, the wood falls and locks the door and they locked the sanctuary up and they said they said to God, they said, God, we will not open these doors until the Holy Spirit falls with power. And my grandfather was telling me that um, the pastor showed up, that the choir leader showed up, everyone showed up for church and they were knocking on the door, banging to get in. But the kids made the the church stand outside for two hours before they felt like the Holy Spirit came in power. And then they thrust the doors open and said, come in. The Holy Spirit is here. Um, I'm not saying that's a good idea. okay? I'm not saying that I'm going to lock the doors on you. uh, But I am saying that there's something to be heard and learned as we listen to men and women of God who've gone before us. Does that make sense? As we steward the testimony of God, um, my heart is stirred to prayer. And I've learned things uh, about prayer, not because I am smart or not because I have this great anointing or not because God loves me more than anyone else. Most of what I've learned is, is because because I had pastors at a young age who said, look, you need to be humble and you need to be teachable. Um, and so I'm saying that through the generations, we want to teach our patterns. We want a commission. We want people to feel empowered and to feel like there's authority and people behind them. And then we want to hold them accountable to feel, fulfill what God's called them to do. And, and, and I'm not saying that anyone gets to quit. Um, I'm saying that we keep doing what God's called us to do until they put dirt in our face, but we leave something behind us. You guys understand what I mean? Um, and of course, there may be transitions. Don't hear me say if you're tired or God's asking you to do something else, don't hear me say that you can never transition. But I, but what I am saying is that you need to be faithful to what God's called you to do. Um, and our goal is that every one of us leave something behind us. So in conclusion, I'm going to wrap this up for you. No generation has a corner market on the church or the gospel. We're not after a millennial church, nor uh, uh, our goal is not to be super old-timey either our church is to be who we are our goal is to be who we are as people to love people and to pass off the sincerity of the faith we want to be a multi-generational church a church that reaches every generation the next generation might come in here with rainbow hair i don't know they might do something crazy but our goal is to teach them not to dye their hair back the normal color although if we can hallelujah our goal is to teach them to pray and to read the scripture right do you guys understand what i'm saying committed to no person being left behind, but every person leaving something behind. We've got to think about, think intensely about legacy. We should really consider this biblical idea of impartation. We want to consider transfer and, and heavenly reward. Um, I think what Micah said this morning was so powerful, that, that Billy Graham's life is still reaping reward in heaven, although he's in the grave today. And, and I think that's the kind of lives we want to aim at that's the kind of church we want to be we want uh, we want to we want to be in the grave in heaven and and still piling up all of our rewards because there's still this ripple effect of gospel clear gospel preaching and the power of the Holy Spirit coming forth from this community and the And the final thing I want to say is this um, the design of spiritual fatherhood is expressed in this way Tim- paul is dying he's getting ready to die he's getting ready to be martyred and he's concerned with timothy what what timothy's doing how timothy's doing i've probably said to you before i love the scripture that says timothy make sure you drink a little wine for your stomach because you have a frequent ailment paul's even concerned with his physical well-being it's his, it's his, it's a son but in the natural idea of father sonship by Paul being concerned with Timothy fulfilling his commission, he's actually furthering his own commission. So there's a natural pattern. We we love the next generation and teach them well. We father, we pastor. But in that, the natural outcome of that is that the gospel keeps moving, that we're still having effect. We're still we're we're still call, causing hell uh, a headache long after we're gone. That the demonic powers are still being wrestled down by the by the the word that we've taught, by the songs that we've sung, by the prayers that we've we've taught people to pray, that there's still um, principalities being cast down by the gospel and by those prayers, even though we're not around anymore. So Paul is still fruitful today because he poured himself into young people. He refused. He refused. Um, y'all, my brain is tired. I've been I've been I've been about a month and a half without a, without a weekend off, and my brain is tired and my words are slipping. Um, but he refused to allow generational differences to rob him of leaving a legacy. And and that's the kind of people I suggest we be. Does that make sense? All right, would you stand to your feet? And, and I want to just pray into this for a moment. Um, as always, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward. You're welcome to come forward and receive prayer. If you're sick, if you just need to connect with Jesus, if you're unsure, if you've actually received Jesus as your Savior, you're always welcome to come forward. So as I pray a prayer team, if you guys will come forward. Um, But let's pray into this for a minute. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would use us. God, in Jesus name, teach us honor. We refuse to get caught up on any shallow tension, Lord. We refuse to allow fleshy things uh, to rob us of, of leaving a legacy. Lord, we pray that the grip of Satan is driven from this community. We pray that this community, that that the people that grow up in in Bluffton and Hilton Head and the surrounding areas, the young people to come. um, God, we pray that they, you know, the old men of God used to pray that they had to jump over our bodies to get to hell. That they are so... um, Confronted with the gospel, that they're confronted with people who love you with all their hearts, that there that there's a open heaven over the city and over the surrounding cities, that it just becomes easy to love Jesus. We come against every demonic strategy, every principality that would attempt to to bind our kids in sin, to bind the next generation in sin, and we declare the kingdom of God come. That's the kind of people we want to be, Jesus. You are our king. We're not, we don't want to be self-absorbed. We want to be gospel-absorbed, kingdom-absorbed. So use us. Pray that with me just real quick. Say, use us, God. Use us, God. Use us, God. Use us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Somebody say, amen. Thank you for listening to this Sunday sermon. Be sure to visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org for more resources.